0: Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different and a cookie cutter approach just won't work for Lime disease. You need some ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 135 with author and Lime Ninja, Connie Strasheim. And as some of you know, Aurora, our producer, is still on her cross-country trek with her twin sister. They were last reported in Boston, so they're circling the homestead, and I hope to have her back on the show very soon. This is a wonderful interview this week. And in this episode, you will learn about Connie's struggle with insomnia. And I know so many people with Lyme disease struggle with insomnia. And what was interesting about this interview is Connie has used so many different approaches, different modalities to help with her sleep that we get into really almost – laundry list of different types of Lyme treatments and how it has helped her, but specifically in this episode with her insomnia. So you're going to love this episode. We cover so much territory. You might even want to have a notepad and paper with you to take notes on this. That's how much info is on here. Okay, here's a little bit about Connie. Connie Strassheim is a medical researcher and writer. She's the author, co-author, or ghostwriter for more than 12 health and wellness books. The topics she writes about include Lyme disease, cancer, nutrition, sleep, detox, spiritual wellness, and she collaborates with some of the world's best integrative and holistic doctors in her work. Connie became passionate about medicine and healing as a result of her decade-long battle with Lyme disease, which led her on a quest to find better answers for herself and others, since conventional medicine and the conventional medical community had failed to provide her with the real solutions she needed for Lyme disease. In addition to authoring books, Connie is a copywriter and editor for the Alternative Cancer Research Institute and ProHealth's Lyme disease website. She also helps people who battle chronic illness to restore body, mind, and spirit through prayer. Here's my interview with author Connie Strasheim.
1: Hi. (laughs) How are you?
0: (laughs) Quite well.
1: Good. Well, I just finished my breakfast, so I'm good to go. (laughs) (laughs) My 12 12 o'clock breakfast.
0: So what was for breakfast?
1: I do a uh protein smoothie with coconut milk and bacon. That's my my standard breakfast, he, you know, heavy salty meat and and then some uh, you know, good fat for the brain.
0: And then what's protein?
1: Protein is uh the bacon and the protein in the powder yes. I do um I do pea protein.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, it's kind of my thing, and I don't know about you, but I, you know, I need like something heavy in the morning. Like a couple eggs just doesn't cut it. I just feel good when I have like really heavy, salty food. So, (laughs) anyway, so what do you do for breakfast? Uh,
0: I do a buttered coffee.
1: Oh, you do the ketogenic coffee, huh?
0: Yep. And from time to time, I will add, I prefer bacon and sausage and things like that, but that's just my routine, and I find that, and I I put quite a bit of butter. It's not just like a little dab. I put a lot of butter in there, so I'm getting a lot a very heavy breakfast as well. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Some
0: people seem to do better on that. I'm one of them.
1: Well, and you know, I had tried a a keto diet and I think I mentioned you, I didn't do well, but I'm looking at it again because I just read a Terry Wall's book and you you may be familiar with that. And, you know, she's got like three different diets, but she basically went into remission from MS symptoms by doing a ketogenic diet. So that's kind of re-inspired me to figure out what I was doing wrong and give it a try again.
0: (laughs) I just interviewed her about her new cookbook.
1: Oh yeah, that's awesome. That, I'd love I got when I just got her cookbook this week, so that's awesome. She's an amazing woman. Yeah, yeah, it, sounds, it sure seems like it.
0: And speaking of amazing women and books, you have a new book out, Beyond a Glass of Milk and a Hot Bath.
1: Yeah, so you know this was just a little project I did myself. It's a topic I've been passionate about writing for years because, um, you know, when I was going through uh, treatments for Lyme disease, I had a really, really wicked battle with insomnia for a lot of years. And I would say it was one of the most difficult symptoms I endured. And I know that a lot of other people with Lyme you know, have insomnia or rest asleep, you know, wake up feeling exhausted. And so I learned a lot during those years that I wasn't sleeping well. And I'm excited because I've mostly recovered my ability to get a normal night's sleep, except for when I travel, I still have issues there. But, you know, when I thought to myself, I'm like, I got to tell people what I've learned because, you know, I know what a nightmare it is to never feel like you get restful sleep, and just you know, it just kind of ruins your whole life. <laughs> so, I tell um, my
0: patients if you can't sleep, you can't heal.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And my issues were compounded by the fact that I was prescribed antidepressants and benzodiazepines or sedatives for a number of years, so I could sleep while I was doing treatments. And, you know, I don't blame anyone for taking sleep medication or antidepressants. Sometimes you just do what you got to do. But I think there are better answers. And that's what I attempt to provide in this book, you know, because I did get off of those drugs. And it was very hard, you know. I'll be honest with you. Like, it took me a couple years. And I went through some pretty intense stuff. You know, I'd be um, calling my sweetheart Bill at two in the morning. You know, this is when I was still living in Colorado. And I think, like just sobbing, like, I can't sleep. I can't believe it. I haven't slept for two weeks and I'm not sleeping again. What am I going to do? I can't get off this drug. And so anyway, you know, but I did. And so that's really just a lot of part of what I share in this in this new book.
0: So what did you learn?
1: What did I learn? Okay, so let I'll just start by saying that, you know, insomnia is a symptom of obviously a deeper problem like everything else. And there are many reasons why people who have Lyme disease don't sleep. And one of the, some of the big ones, and I'm sure I don't know all the reasons, you know, I'm not a doctor and, um, you know, I don't pretend to be an expert on everything, but some of the things that I discovered for myself were that, first of all, um, inflammation in the body, mast cell activation, high histamine levels, imbalanced neurotransmitters, um, hormonal imbalances, pain. You know, those are kind of some of the big ones. And then there are also, um, you know, factors like your sleep environment, electromagnetic fields, things that are in the environment itself, uh, trauma, you know, other conditions. If you're depressed, you know, you'll tend to have trouble sleeping. And so I tried in this book – I attempted to answer, you know, provide solutions for every one of those things because I had all of those problems and then more, and so it's kind of like, I, you know, I, I tell people I didn't just do a bunch of things overnight and fix the issue overnight. It was kind of like it was a stacking process where I do one thing, I'd see some improvement, uh, wasn't enough, try something else. And it was like a, a series of trial and error. And I think over time what happened is I ended up rebuilding my chemistry. So, you know, I if you do something and it doesn't work for you, I... I just want to encourage anyone who's listening to this to not get discouraged because, um, sometimes it's really like you've got to rebuild your body from, if, especially if you've had insomnia a long time and you've got to heal from Lyme, obviously. But even while having Lyme, I managed to, you know, get my sleep back to a fairly good place, but I realize there are situations where it's going to be difficult no matter what. Like if you're having a heavy Herxheimer reaction, but, um, I will, I can, you know, I don't know if you want me, Makeda, to just kind of go through and 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 just share one by one what what, uh, what I learned about each cause of insomnia, what I did, or how you how you'd like me to share the information that's in here. Well,
0: let's stay with the big picture for a second. How long yeah. did it take you to get to the point where you're thinking, you know, what I'm actually sleeping pretty good now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I would say it was probably about five years. And, um, and again, I think the runway would have been shortened if I would have known about all these tools. But it was sort of a process of, uh, you know, one thing then another, it may have even been longer than that, to be honest. But, you know, there were probably three years where things were just really, really horrific, like I was getting two or three hours of sleep a night. And then after that, it it you know the amount of time that i sleep would gradually increase until i was you know back to 8 or 9 hours a night so um it was definitely a you know a long journey and there were setbacks it's like i you know you go forward setback and but uh, you know again i think it's it's a process of just getting your chemist like resetting your body recalibrating it and so um but i think the more things you can do to like um, address the underlying factors that are causing you not to sleep, the better are your chances that, you know, you're going to be able to sleep again. And in the book I talk about how you can do that as well.
0: Now for you, was it five years of one step forward and two step backward, or was there a moment in there where things, was there a turning point?
1: There, I would say there was a definite turning point. And, Um, And I think that the last thing I did that I really was like, okay, now I'm on the right track, was getting the inflammation down. And um, because I had sort of addressed things one at a time, the first thing that I did was look at, for instance, my neurotransmitters and my hormones, because that's kind of an obvious thing. if you have adrenal fatigue or you have hypothyroidism um, neurotransmitter issues like you know low serotonin, even low dopamine, because serotonin and dopamine work together, uh, it can affect your sleep and so I did a lot of testing and you know figured out what neurotransmitters and hormones I was deficient in and then that was like a couple of years of a balancing act to figure out which one of those i needed but really what i what really surprised me was how lowering inflammation in my body could make a really huge difference that, and I'll, I'll say the other thing was electromagnetic pollution, which a lot of people don't take that seriously, I think, because it's like an invisible toxin and, you know, you don't feel its effects upon your body. But when I moved out to the country, um, you know, a few years ago, it was like, wow, this is really a big deal. Um, I noticed a difference and we are all living in a sea of emfs and you know the electromagnetic frequencies that come from power lines cell phones uh, you know the smart meters those disrupt the energy of your body and they'll keep you awake at night
0: now were the emfs in your home or in your uh, neighborhood
1: they were both and i have a couple stories to tell you about that because back when i was living in colorado i knew that emfs were an issue for me and so i bought some emf meters and i would go and i would measure the the fields in the different apartments and condos i was looking at and so when i finally thought that i had found one the mistake i made was not measuring the fields at night because there was a huge power line that um, ran through the ceiling of my condo in, in the bedroom and it was mounted, it was attached to an out huge outdoor lamp on the condo complex. And during the day, the fields were really low, but at night, they just shot up into the red and I would go to sleep and I could feel my body vibrating. And I had a Faraday cage, which is, you know, or it's, it's, it's a metallic lined canopy that you put over your bed and that will filter out some of the higher frequency fields like that, which comes from microwave towers and such, but it doesn't filter out what are called low frequency fields, which come from like power lines and appliances. And so the canopy didn't do anything for this thing and and it, it kept me awake for several years until I could move. And it, I mean, it was just incredible. So anyway, I I just – and I don't want to say that to discourage people because now that I know what you need to do, how to measure the field, I put some – I talk about that in the book as well, as well as some simple things that you can do to lower the EMFs. And some of them are very simple, you know, things like turning off the circuit breakers in your bedroom at night, turning off your cell phone, getting some gram Stetzer filters, which are filters that you plug into the wall outlets. And what they do is they stop um, what's called dirty electricity from coming into your bedroom. And, but they also stop some of the f- fields that come into your home from smart meters because the smart meter doesn't just radiate from the meter itself but through the wall wiring and so i was really surprised but the graham stetzer filters were something that for me you know these little things you plug in the wall were an integral part of helping me to get the emfs down
0: you know so the, mm-hmm. so much of this and actually, I'm on board with you, so don't take this as a, I'm challenging you. But so much of this sounds like the crazy tin foil hat brigade. <laughs> and, but what's interesting is there's, there's actually genetic variables that pre-pose people, predispose people to having these sensitivities not that other people aren't also sensitive and it's not doing damage but if you couple that with these genetic variables their calcium channel variants then all of a sudden these uh, EMFs and other yeah the EMFs just become that much more i have a patient who uh, you know was thinking she had carpal tunnel and we got talking mm-hmm. about it and we did her genetics and it turns out that it's the wireless mouse she was using Wow! And wow! So once she started paying attention, she said, "Yeah, you know what? My cell phone does it to me. This does it to me. That does. All of a sudden, she's becoming aware of how these make her make her feel. And it's for her, it's pain. How do, mm. how do you know when there's mm-hmm. an EMF field around you? What do you feel?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it depends, McKay. Because sometimes I you don't feel it at all, depending on how sensitive you are. I'm not so sensitive that I can feel them. I mean, I work on a computer all day and I'm fine. But um, sometimes when the feels are really high, I would get like a buzzing feeling in my body. And insomnia and cognitive issues are two main symptoms of EMF toxicity. And there have literally been thousands of studies published on the dangers of EMFs. And you don't see those a lot in the public, but there are you know, different websites where you can find those. And again, I'm not saying everybody, if you have a problem with sleep, it's not always because of EMFs. You might have another issue. But I do think it's a a factor for a lot of people. And so there are ways you can measure it and measure the fields. and, And, you know, this can be, it can become a fairly complex thing. But one thing that I found, one tool I found useful was just buying, a, um, you know, a couple different meters because you have what are called high-frequency fields and then low-frequency fields. And both of them can disrupt your sleep depending on who you are, you know, your chemistry and stuff. But, you know, getting you can get like a $35 gauss meter On like lessemf.com and some of these other websites, and that one will give you just a very general idea about the level of low frequency fields. So, and basically the readings are like you know green, yellow, red, and so. You know, if you're not a person that likes numbers and wants to have to figure all this out, you can just get one of these meters. And if the fields go above the green, then you kind of know, you know, maybe you're getting into some EMF, you know, some disruptive EMFs. And, but then you also want to have a meter that measures the higher frequency fields like that, which come from cell phone towers and things like that. But the good news is, is that um, if you do have the finances, there is a really easy way to filter out all the high frequency fields like those which come. From the cell phone towers and such, and that's with a, a Faraday cage. And these things can cost, you know, a thousand bucks. If you get them on like Amazon, they're a bit cheaper. I've seen them as low as eight hundred dollars. And they have varying levels of protection. But that's one way to filter out the high fields. If you can't afford a Faraday cage or you can't afford Gram Stetzer filters, which are for the lower frequency field. I, what I tell people is find a place in your house where the fields are lower because chances are you will have a room. And, you know, I ended up like when I was living in Colorado, I ended up sleeping in my office for a couple of years and it wasn't fun, but it was, it enabled me to get deeper rest because, you know, I was like, there's nothing I can do about this, this thing in my bedroom. And, Um so, you know, because it's interesting how the fields, they will change from one area, from one room to the other. And I'm not, you know, some people may have a whole house that's just really high. Like if you live near a power line, you know, the fields, the magnetic fields in your house are likely to be high no matter where you go. But most of us will have some area that we can sleep in. And, you know, and I I tell people sometimes just turning off your Wi-Fi router, turning off your cell phone, your cordless phones and, Um, turning off the circuit breakers in your bedroom. Sometimes just that itself can can make a difference.
0: Every technology has a dark side. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, and I was just going to add, you know, one thing that I found to be a big deal too for me was looking at my cell phone late at night because I used to like, you know, re- do social media and answer my emails. Well, I was taking my bath before bed because that was just a convenient time to do it. But um, the cell phone will actually um, the the MFs from that and the light from the the screen will, will disrupt your sleep. And so I've had to learn: no, you don't get on the cell phone late at night. Like you know, at least two hours before bed, I cut I cut it off.
0: So what were the other big Impediments to getting good night's sleep. So, you talked about inflammation, but, and you talked about how, you, in a general way, then we've talked about the EMFs. So, tell me more about inflammation and what did you do yeah. to get it down and what sure. else did that do for you?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anytime you have a chronic health condition, you know, there's inflammation in the body. And one thing that, you know, doctors have been learning recently is that a lot of people with Lyme and really a lot of other conditions have what's called mast cell activation. And this is, um, and so basically what this causes is our high levels of histamine in the body and histamine is a neurotransmitter that, you know, in the proper amounts it's good, but you know, it plays a role in the body, but in high amounts it can keep, it's an excitatory neurotransmitter it can keep you awake at night. And and a lot of us, you know, it's kind of funny. You look at, you go when when people want to sleep, they'll go by a Benadryl, which is an antihistamine. And so, what does that tell you? That you know, if we can sleep with a Benadryl, we have too much histamine. And and so, um, and and the thing, but the thing about Benadryl is that it can affect your memory; it's not good. And there are better ways to lower histamine in the body. And I think that uh, doctors are starting to discover what some of those are now. There, like, there's a gentleman named Lawrence Afrin, and he wrote a book called Don't Bet Again. Don't bet against Occam, O-C-C-A-M. It's kind of a strange title for the book, but it's about mast cell activation and lowering histamine. And it's a really large book. It's more, you know, a lot of case stories and stuff, but he talks about some agents that lower histamine in the body. And there, and there are other ways to do that as well, you know, like through your diet and stuff. But, um, I found, for instance, that quercetin is a supplement that is really powerful for lowering histamine and for controlling um mass cell activation there are other things as well but that's kind of one of the the big ones um and then there there are medications that do that not all of these medications are really good for the body like benzodiazepines are actually one of them and i used to wonder why i felt so great on a benzo you know like was it just making me relax but it actually took away a lot of the inflammation i didn't have pain you know my energy was up and i loved how they made me feel which is one reason why it was hard to get off of them but you know that is like a a prescription medication that lowers mast cell activation, but um, another prescription that that I took, which I found to be really helpful, and actually has a very low side effect profile compared to any other medication was ketotofin, and I'm not sure I'm even pronouncing that right, but um, it's spelled K-E-I-T-I-T-O-F-E-N, and it's a compounded medication. You have to get it compounded through a compounding pharmacy that I found to be profoundly useful for lowering histamine and helping me to sleep, and it doesn't work for everyone. You know, it's it's like we're all individuals again, but... um, Doing, taking those things were sort of the big things that worked for me, but there, there are other things you can do to lower inflammation, things like taking, you know, um, essential fatty acids, taking curcumin, a bioavailable form of curcumin, and, you know, maintaining an antihistamine diet. And not everyone, again, it's, you know, doing this is sort of trial and error for people. But if you're really sensitive to histamine, I think avoiding foods that have high levels of histamine can really help or really any food that causes inflammation in the body. Like, I don't know, you know, if anyone who's listening to this has ever, if you've ever gone on a vegetable fast, you might notice that you slept better during the time that you did the fast because you're not consuming inflammatory foods. And so anyway, I just, you know, I discovered that to be a a major player in sleep. And it was one of the last things that I did and took that really kind of made me go, okay, now I'm really sleeping good. So, so yeah, that was one thing. And, um, and I just want to say too, if you just go, well, I don't know why I'm not sleeping, there are tools in, in this book that that can help you to sleep regardless of the cause. And so if you'd like I can talk about what a couple of those are.
0: Sure, of course.
1: Okay. Yeah, so there's um there's something called the King method. Okay, and this is like by it's a hands-on healing tool. And what it is, I'll try to explain it. It's like you basically put your hands on different parts of your body and you just hold your hands in certain positions on your body and what it does is it aligns your body's energy system. It's very simple. There are a number of techniques actually for treating different conditions. The guy who developed this figured out sequences For, you know, or let's say different locations on the body that you can touch that will cause your body to, um, you know, heal that particular condition. And it, it sounds kind of crazy, but it's like a simple tool, but it's really powerful. And the, and the man who invented it, Glenn King, actually healed himself of metastatic melanoma with it. So it's really, it's, it's a whole healing system, but there is a sequence within the King method or TKM that balances the autonomic nervous nervous system. You can do it on yourself while you're in bed and it will align, it will, you know, calm and balance your nervous system. It takes about 25 minutes and uh I use that sequence at times when if I can't sleep, you know, or I'm revved up and it's like I you know, I need to ramp down. And so it's something, you know, I put a link in the book to that sequence because it's um, freely available on the Internet. It's called the Median Sequence, and it's a free tool. You know, TKM, if you want to do TKM for Lyme disease or other conditions, you can do that. And, you know, that's a a little more complicated because you would need someone to help you with the sequences. But that one particular sequence, the Median Sequence, will help you fall asleep. In fact, I fall asleep while I'm doing it sometimes in the middle of it. Um. But uh, did you want to say anything about that before I go into the the other ones?
0: No, you know, there's several similar tools out there, Uh, tapping, Mm -hmm. like that, that that get into different ways of, of manually balancing. Manual, because I'm an acupuncturist, I use needles, so... Yeah. People use their hands, I consider it manual. I suppose the needles are manual as well. But <laughs>
1: anyway. <Yeah. laughs> so just
0: it's interesting. There's there's so many variations on a the theme out there. And you know, if you find something that that works for you and that's that's can be done easily and is easy to remember and is working for you, it's like what's what's the harm?
1: Right. Like, give it right. a try. Give it a try. Well, and the nice thing about TKM is that it's non-toxic. It's not, it's only working with your body's innate energy. You're not introducing, if you're a sensitive person, you're not, you know, you don't have to worry about taking something that's going to cause you to have a reaction. And, um, and so anyway, if anyone wants to learn more about it, that you can look it up. And I think the website's thekinginstitute.org. But, um, beyond that, there was a, a treatment that I did that actually helped me to wean off of the antidepressants and the benzodiazepines and it 's called um, entrainment therapy and what it does is it modulates your brain waves so you know during the day our brain waves are more active when we 're working or studying whatever you you know your brain waves are are in you know, up, running at a higher frequency. And when you sleep, you want to ramp your brain waves down into a delta wave pattern. And one way you can do that is with what's called, in, you know, it's called brain wave entrainment or biofeedback. You know, neurofeedback actually would be more accurate. But there are devices that they're called sound light machines and neurofeedback devices that in, in, you know, and what they consist of is basically listening A light sound machine, for instance, consists of just listening to some music or some, you know, while frequencies are being input to your brain while uh, having like some blinking light glasses on. And and this what this serves to do is ramp down your brain waves until you get into a delta wave sleep pattern. And so I used one of those and I've also used what, what's called a neurofeedback device and which is similar except that it uses input from your brain to send the right feedback signal to that, to your brain. And it's a little bit more powerful, it's also more expensive, but there are companies that sell these devices that you can use at home you can also go to a clinic and do them but I found that it was most effective for me to purchase one of these devices and in fact the one that I got the first device that I got it was called a neuro integrator it was one of the first tools that I used and it, it's made by a company called clear mind and the guy that <clears throat> excuse me that sold this device to me told me that his wife had been on Ambien for 15 years and the neurointegrator is what enabled her to get off of that medication. And so I did that for a period of like six months, you know, the, and it's, if you've been on benzos, it takes longer. I don't know why, you know, other sleep medications, there's not as much of an issue. You know, you can tend to get your sleep patterns restored more quickly if you've been on other medications. If you've been on a benzo, it takes longer, but it was really like probably the most important tool that helped me to wean off of those. Those medications um, that also in combination with amino acid therapy, because like when you take a, a benzo, what it's doing is it's you know it's working on what are called GABA receptors in your body. So GABA is a calming neurotransmitter that your body needs to sleep, and often in people with chronic illness, what happens is that the body doesn't make GABA; it ends up making um, I forget the whole conversion process, but it ends up making an excitatory neurotransmitter called glutamate, which will keep you awake at night. And so your body doesn't have enough GABA and it's got too much glutamate. And so taking GABA supplements, for instance, a bioavailable form of GABA um, in conjunction with methylation supplements, which is kind of another complex thing I can talk about if you want, but um, that enabled my body to sort of get the GABA it needed and to heal from, from the drug. Does that make sense? in I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of feel like I'm throwing a lot of ideas out there.
0: Well, I'm hanging in there. I'm not sure about everybody else out there, but let's okay. let's just keep yeah. skipping across the surface because I will link. More in-depth, I have done interviews with Bob Miller. He goes in-depth about methylation, and I have a couple other guests who've gone in-depth about methylation. I have interviewed a psychiatrist who does neurofeedback, and then we also interviewed Bill Harris, who does Mm -hmm. some brainwave entrainment and is one of the pioneers on the audio only uh, brainwave entrainment, so that information's out there. If you want to go into depth into any one of these, but let's let's keep on cruising along here because it's it's really fascinating how many different tools you've used <laughs> over your five years.
1: Yeah, I mean it was kind of ridiculous, and I think it was desperation that kind of kept me. And I want to just you know tell people you may not need all of this stuff. In fact, you pro- you know you probably won't, but um you know you i and, and and in the book i try to provide guidelines about you know how you can figure out what's going to most benefit you and i don't recommend trying everything at once um you know do i you might discuss some of the information with your doctor and say which one of these do you think makes sense for me and you know because there are other things to look at too like trauma. I think that trauma is a reason that people don't sleep sometimes. And so, or because you, you know, you go to bed and you're, you're, you're thinking about so many things, you're worried about stuff. And so for some people, some people may need to look at the cognitive side of it too. And, um, and so I talk about things like that, you know, like if you go to bed and your brain's full of thoughts, you may want to use a meditation CD. You may want to read something uplifting. Um, you know, and again, the um, actually the neurofeedback can address that as well. The neurofeedback devices, but if you don't want to spend the money for one, you know, because they can be anywhere from a couple hundred dollars up to several thousand dollars, then you may want to try something like a meditation CD or another cognitive tool to help you go to sleep. And what happens, you know, McKay, when you don't sleep for a really long time, then just going to bed becomes traumatic. You start to have fear around sleep just, and that kind of compounds it like, oh my God, am I going to sleep tonight? And, (laughs) you know, it's, I mean, it really becomes like a torture. And so in the book, I try to talk about some things that I did and, you know, prayer and meditation became really important for me. And, I even talk about some spiritual causes of insomnia. And that information, you know, it might be a little bit out there for some people because it's, you know, it it just, but I've seen how, um, you know, there can be spiritual reasons why people don't sleep. And so I talk about that just a little bit. And I, I talk about how cultivating a relationship with God, you know, really can make a difference because, you know, in my perspective, just um, letting go and kind of giving the problem over to to God or, you know, however you see God can really, you know, just kind of go, well, whatever happens is going to happen. And just really letting go of it and just giving it over is can really be beneficial as well. You know, because when we try to control things too much, sometimes it makes the issue worse. And so a lot of part of the book is dedicated to just some tips for helping people to let go when they're like, you know, when you kind of go into that place of desperation.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting that we can make things worse by trying to make things better.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You know, just we can, we can
0: try, try too hard you know sometimes it it manifests in trying like you said trying too many things at the same time that mm-hmm. may just overwhelm your system sometimes it's impatience and moving from one Therapy to another too quickly without giving anyone a chance to really take hold and your body yes. to adjust to and make the difference. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's such a funny thing. And then you, you talk about the trauma of going to sleep. So for me, that's such a foreign concept. I love going to sleep, I love taking <laughs> naps. I really do. And the idea that because the anxiety is already there neurochemically, that. Mm-hmm. That actual going to bed then becomes, rides on that wave of anxiety, that neurochemical anxiety and, and feeds it and flames those fires and, and makes it even harder. So having some way to let what is be what is. Mm-hmm. whether it's meditation whether it's prayer whether it's something is important and i i think there's some inherent value if if people do believe in god you've got an advantage there's mm-hmm. there's enough studies out there showing that however if you don't it it's not the end of the world it's just uh it takes some cultivating on your part to be able to continue to let go and let go
1: mhm mhm yeah cuz you want to get your body out of sympathetic dominance or that fight or flight which is you know, and to be honest, like that's where I lived most of my life, and I can still go into that, but you know we have to you have to get into a your nervous system into a place of rest and balance, and there are a number of ways to do that, and you know in the book, I also talk about some. Tools like um, dynamic neural retraining, that's a really big program, but it's a very good program, I think, for people that have their bodies just kind of switched on to fight or flight, and it, it involves some cognitive tools for reframing, but it's much bigger than that, and it's sort of a um you know, it's it's kind of a big thing, but there are, I talk about some things like that that can help to relax the brain, relax the body, and you know, simple things or you know, just simple things like the King method, and as you just reiterated to the you know prayer and re- relaxation, all of that helps, but you almost have to get your yourself deconditioned from believing that you're not going to sleep. And, you know, and sometimes for some people, it might just mean going, okay, I'm not sleeping, I'm going to get up and do something. And then you let exhaustion overtake you. And sometimes that will work for some people to get them back to rest, you know, but you kind of almost have to like, make it so it's not a big deal, even though it is a big deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, because when you magnify the problem, and you go like, Oh, my gosh, I can't sleep, and you start worrying about it, it makes it bigger, you almost have to just go, it doesn't matter. It's okay. And and, and as hard as that is, it actually disempowers it. So that what, it, and I'm talking, I'm speaking to people here who have severe sleep issues because then if you don't, you probably can't relate to any of this part. But um, people that have gone through insomnia for years will understand this. <laughs> you know, you got to make, got to make, shrink the demon. So, um, <laughs> and you got to magnify the solution, magnify uh, the good things, really.
0: So not only are you dealing with Lyme disease which has its own issues with it. You've got this other major, major symptom with, you know, whether or not there's pain Mm -hmm. involved as well uh, of insomnia and the lack of literal lack of ability to sleep here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to mention too, there, you know, there's some other tools that I found to be really great and a great replacement for medication like cannabis And I realize cannabis isn't available to everybody, but, you know, if you live, live in a state where you're able to get it. And, um, I, I also found that to be a really profound tool. Um, again, it won't probably won't work for everyone, but it's, it's really nice for helping, especially, um, those ones that have, um, not, you know, like, let's say a low ratio of what's called THC to cannabinoids. And so, um, you know preparations of cannabis, whether it's a pill, um, you know brownies or how, whatever form that you want to get cannabis in. If it has a high amount of cannabinoids, then that's going to induce tend to induce rest in most people, and it it also helps with pain. And as you know, McKay, it's it also there's been some evidence that it helps to reduce a lot of other symptoms of Lyme disease.
0: Yes, indeed, quite a few people use cannabis or CBD oil. Have you? tried just the CBD oil?
1: Well, I'll be honest, I have. And that one didn't work for me. Just, be, And I'll tell you, I'm not sure why, but I think it could be because the small amount of THC that they put in um, some of the other formulations enables the cannabinoids to work better in the body. And the oil may work great for some people and I, I certainly think you know it's worth trying if you haven't, but if not, there are also things like I use a product called Mary's Medicinals, and it is um, basically five milligrams of CBD or CBN, you know, and just a tiny amount of THC. And the THC is the THC is what gives cannabis its psychoactive um, properties. So you know, people say, "Well, I don't want to get high. I don't want to have the, this to have mind-altering effects, um, THC is the component that does that. But if it's just present in very small amounts, you probably will not experience any of its psychoactive effects. In fact, you know, I don't at all. And and so um, I've just found that personally the preparations that have a small amount of that, you know, they may make the can- cannabinoids work better in the body. But again, you know, if you don't live in a state where you can get that, the, the oil's worth a try. What do you think about that?
0: I don't know enough about the pharmacologic effects of both, uh, and that's something I am interested in and will pursue. So one of the big issues is just availability and what's available in the different states. So, But that's an interesting point you bring up. If somebody's tried the CBD oil itself and it didn't work, maybe it's time to take a little vacation out to – Colorado, and,
1: uh,
0: and just give a slightly different preparation a yeah. try. And I like the idea now that they are experimenting with and adjusting the levels because the THC is a is a big deal, especially if you're neuro compromised mm-hmm. to begin with. It doesn't take yeah. a lot to really send you off into some place you don't want to go.
1: Exactly, and I'll tell you, McKay, that I did. You know, um, the couple of occasions that I've smoked marijuana in the past it made me, it it whacked me out. And I thought to myself, I'm never touching this again. And so I was kind of wary to try this, but it's really a whole different thing when you're just getting something that's large, you know, mostly the cannabinoids. And the THC, the percentage um, that will affect people, you know, it varies. But I, I want to say that, you know, the one that I have from Mary's Medicinals, it might be contained 2%. THC and are not two percent. Yeah, well, it's a very low amount. It, it, you know, and I wish I had the number in front of me, but, um, you know, when it's that, and the ratio matters too. So, you know, if there's a very high ratio of CBD to THC, you also want to look at that. But, um, yeah, and you know, again, it's different things work for different people. You also want to make sure you get a brand that's pure and organic mary's medicinals i believe is organic and cuz you don't want to get you know pesticides and things like that but a lot of people are are using that now and it's a lot safer than even a benadryl i mean studies have shown over the counter medications to cause memory loss and you know i tell you like if i take a tylenol pm or a benadryl i can see the notice a change in my memory the next day and so and I again I don't, you know, not everyone's the same. I don't condemn anyone for using that stuff cuz you do what you got to do sometimes, but I just think there're always a better so, better solutions. You know, if you can't sleep, there's a reason, and so you want to go to the reason.
0: Have you had your 23 and me data done?
1: I have. Yep.
0: Would you be yep. willing to send me your file?
1: Sure. <laughs> yep.
0: There, just with some of your story, there's some patterns that I found that I would just be curious to see if they show up on yours as well and may help explain some of this to you.
1: Um, and, and yeah. And valid, validate what you've been doing. That would be awesome. Thank you. And yeah, and I can tell you, I do have methylation issues and things that have prevented me from being able to use things without some methylation support. So like as another example, um, I tried using amino acids for sleep when I first started having sleep issues. You know, that was one of the first things I went to, like the GABA, the 5-HTP, tryptophan. Okay, tryptophan, yeah. Yeah. And it whacked, they whacked me out. I was like, this stuff is just not helping me. And I gave up on it for a while. And because I was more depressed, I was more fatigued and it didn't help me sleep. And what I realized was that I needed some um, methylation or, you know, f- um, supplemental nutrients to make those amino acids work in my body to make them, you know, so my body could make neurotransmitters from them. And so, again, this is, you know, as you know, McKay, it's like there are different things that work for different people. But um, I found, for instance, SAMe was really helpful for me, methyl B12, methylfolate, but again, you want to have them in the right ratios. I don't recommend people going out and willy-nilly trying different methylators because you can cause your body to overmethylate, which will keep you up at night, or, you know, it's not gonna work. And um and I realize not everyone can afford expensive testing. Um if you can't, you may just, you know, have to experiment with your doctor. But or not experiment with your doctor, have your doctor, you don't want to experiment. (laughs) Have your doctor experiment with you, you know, help guide you in that, I guess. Um, But I've also found there are certain supplements that are more bioavailable. And for instance, I like the neuroscience line of products, because, you know, they have a product, for instance, called Kavanaugh's, which is a more bioavailable form of GABA. Um, But at the same time, I still take some SAMe, you know, just 100 milligrams, half a tablet in the morning, and along with some B12. And for me, that that's enabled my body to use those things. And so if you try amino acids, and you're like, this doesn't work. Um, it may be because you have a methylation issue. And also, you know, I've done some research that kind of that points to the fact that when serotonin and dopamine are imbalanced in your body, well, when any neurotransmitters are imbalanced, you don't just want to you know, go after feeding one neurotransmitter or trying to, you know, balance one type of neurotransmitter because they all work together. And so if you're just like, well, I just need to increase my serotonin or my GABA, that can cause other imbalances. So, you know, ideally, if you can do testing to find out what neurotransmitters your body needs and, you know, what methylation support, that can be really helpful.
0: That's such an important point. And, the main thing to also remember about adding in a supplement is the imbalance may not show up for a month or even more. Mm-hmm. So you may take some, say you have a GABA, a quote unquote GABA deficiency, you add GABA in
1: mm-hmm.
0: and wow, you feel great for the first two weeks and then things yeah. start leveling off and then mm-hmm. six weeks, eight weeks in, you're actually doing worse.
1: Mm-hmm. To
0: remember that you started taking GABA two months ago is is, is can be really difficult to to know. Mm-hmm. But that sort of stuff is so important because you can back up other pathways a or deplete other pathways by by doing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it it is an art at this point. It's not a hundred percent science. We're we're learning the science. We're trying to figure it out, but it's so intertwined and it's so complex and there's so many factors. That Mm -hmm. that it is an art to it, and it does help to have some guidance.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and and like you say, McKay, things can quit working over time, and you know, and the body does adapt to stuff, and so you know, with certain things like cannabis, I found my body could easily adapt to that after a while and get used to the dosage, and then you need higher dosages, and so it's one of those things that you know I only take it like if I'm traveling because then the effects are better. And um, if you're someone that's, you're going through a Herx or Lyme treatment, you may need to end up taking it every night. But there, it's good to, I mean, if you can, you know, switch things around a little. But with the neurotransmitters and the hormones, I think that's an especially complex area that, you know, we're still learning about and we don't know, like, what are the implications of taking melatonin or GABA or some of these things long-term. So... But, uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention too is the, the hormonal balance can play a role. And I, uh, one thing that a lot of people with Lyme disease have is adrenal fatigue. And this has been another one of my sort of big challenges. And, and ironically, you know, there's all this advice about how you shouldn't eat before you go to bed, like within three hours of bedtime. And I think for some people, they may, some people may sleep better if they don't eat before bed. But if you have adrenal issues, at least, you know, I have found, and I know some doctors have found that if you eat some protein or a light protein combination, you know, high fat snack before bed, then you won't wake up with hypoglycemia early in the morning, and that you know, that's kind of I have found that the the heavier the the fat or you know, protein I eat before bed, the longer I'll sleep. And, you know, maybe that's not a good thing for my detox pathways because, you know, doctors will tell me, well, you're supposed to detox during the night. You can't do that if your body's digesting food. And I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that for some people, you know, having that protein snack is, is really important.
0: There's an interesting book called Potatoes Not Prozac. And Mm. One of her her intervention is a small potato, but it's loaded with sour cream or some fat that Mm -hmm. people take before bedtime. And the idea is the same sort of thing that for some people, the balancing of the neurotransmitters. And the other thing that you bring up is the hypoglycemia is extremely stressful. The body's response Mm to hypoglycemia is to dump a bunch of adrenaline if there is any. It's yes, and so that the liver will will release its glycogen stores, so you yep. get this massive uh, surge that's th- that on top of what's already happening in, in the early morning, and that's one reason people have heart attacks for <laughs> early, early, oh my. or five a.m. because you get this double whammy going on, and and the heart can't handle it. The
1: heart can't Wow, it. that's scary. I, do you think the ketogenic diet? Like, how do you feel about that for people with adrenal issues? Because I've all, I've kind of looked at that at times, and I thought, you know, do you does it work for people with adrenal issues? Does it help to resolve that problem?
0: Well, so looking at different pathways, I, I think saying any one diet works for. Any one person at this point in time is almost impossible to say. So you Mm -hmm. have to experiment. Now, there's good science behind it. But if you – for example, if your body doesn't handle switching over to digesting fats very well and preserving your own uh, uh, glucose in the bloodstream, like you're – some cells need red blood cells need some glucose i think some kidney cells need some glucose most everything else i believe can get by on ketones and fats and proteins as a as a fuel source but if you don't efficiently preserve the glucose then it it may be as where it's too intense the ketogenic Mm -hmm. diet is too intense for you Mm -hmm. now that said it's definitely worth experimenting with how many carbohydrates your body actually does need And to try a ketogenic diet because the ketones bypass a lot of these pathways, the glycogen pathways, the pyruvate pathways that get bogged down, that get poisoned, so to speak. And gets a, that's a way to get fuel right into your brain, right, right into your liver. And it's, when you're burning fat, it's very clean burning. That's one of the, mm-hmm. my best analogies. So when you're burning sugar, you create <laughs> lactic acid, which can get turned back into pyruvate, which the body can burn. But it's an expensive, messy process. Hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why you get muscle soreness. And that's why athletes bonk with it, so forth and so on. When you're burning fats, particularly fats, and to some degree proteins, but we want to be burning fat more than protein for lots of reasons, the fat burns very cleanly, and the byproduct of fat metabolism in the Krebs cycle are these ketones.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: once the body starts recognizing that ketones are floating around the bloodstream and starts switching on the epigenetics to start using those, then all of a sudden you've got this Very clean burning. It doesn't take a lot of antioxidants to do. There's not a lot of uh, superoxide left over from this process. And you've got these super clean ketones that are now available that don't have to be reprocessed by the liver. They just get straight up absorbed. Mm. It's just a much more efficient diet. And if your body can handle it, great. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some people out there who just can't do it for one whatever reason, genetically or… Or whatever.
1: Sure, sure. And you also want to work with a doctor, I would imagine, because when I tried it to do it on myself, I think I was cycling in and out of ketosis because I was trying to find out, discover, you know, how many carbs can I have before, uh, you know, to stay in ketosis. And when you're kind of going in and out of it, it seems to cause a lot of symptoms. I mean, I don't know, it's you not know,
0: a, yeah, it's not a good idea. No. For a health, for a healthy person who's trying to use a ketogenic diet to lose weight, what happens is they end up burning protein and not much fat. So they will mm. lose weight, but it tends to not be fat weight, which is what you want to do. So that's even, you know, somebody who's ketogenic uh, all during the week and then has a cheat day on the weekend. They found yeah. that oh yeah, they're losing weight, but when they did the actual measurements, uh, they found that they were burning protein, and you don't want to burn your own protein. I mean when you're putting no. protein, that's your stomach, that's your heart, that's your intestines. You don't want to do that.
1: No, <laughs> definitely not. So Yeah, so anyway. the,
0: your food is a your food is a signal, an epigenetic signal to the body, and it's not designed to change around that much that often.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm No, that's good to know. So, you know, on the note of I guess the, the hormones I wanted to mention, too, that one thing that was an issue for me, and I've seen it in a lot of other people with chronic Lyme, is you get your cortisol patterns can get inverted or, you know, basically... Um, you know, there's a normal cortisol pattern that a healthy person has, and you know, it's basically cortisol is a hormone produced by your adrenals, and you're supposed to have the highest amounts in the morning. And but in people with Lyme, sometimes it's the opposite. You know, they'll have low amounts in the morning, higher amounts at night, or low levels across the board, or it's just you know some uh, some pattern that's not. Uh, Normal And so what happens is they have trouble sleeping at night because the cortisol will be high at night. And so I also, you know, one thing by healing your adrenals, this this will also help your sleep because, um, you know, by helping to normalize your cortisol. But there are certain substances like phosphatidylserine that you can take at night that will help to lower the cortisol at night. But I think by far, you know, making making sure your blood sugar is balanced is a, a really big part of it.
0: Conna, you have been very, very generous with your time. I want to thank you. Please let folks know how they can get hold of this ebook that you created about sleep and insomnia.
1: Yes. Thank you, McKay. I, I just, just want to say it's been an honor to get to talk to you again. I always love chatting with you. And um the book it's called Beyond a Glass of Hot Milk and a Hot Bath. And so, uh, you can get it at my website, which is Connie Strasheim, S-T-R-A-S-H eim.org. It's also available on Amazon. It's a couple of dollars cheaper on my website. It's download, it's a downloadable ebook. Um, I'm having a, the special introductory price right now is $7.99 and there's a lot of, get a lot of information for that. And so just highly recommend it. And if anyone has any questions or concerns, you can email me at Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, 9824 at AOL.com or again on my website at conniestrassheim.org. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. And just thanks again for all that you do. I, I love your interviews.
0: Okay. That concludes our interview. And this is the part of the show where Aurora usually gives us some wonderful insights into what she learned from listening to the interview. However, as you know, Aurora is on a cross country trek with her sister and they were last spotted in Boston. I hope to have her back very soon. If you enjoyed the interview with Connie as much as I did, we have a previous episode number 116. You can go to our website, com, and search for Connie Strassheim, and number 116 will come up and we've Talk to her about Lyme disease and her other Lyme books in that interview. The other thing in the show notes section, this episode number 135, I'll try to list all the references we made during that interview. There are references made to previous interviews we've done with other experts about different types of Interventions for insomnia and Lyme disease. So, going over to limeninja.radio.com and on the homepage. If Connie's interview is not right there at the top, if you're listening to this a little bit later on, just hit the menu bar and there's a search button there, little magnifying glass search button. And it, the search engine on the site does a really, really good job. It uses Google, so it'll it'll find Connie's interview there and. Just click on there. You'll go on over to the show notes section, and you'll see all the links to previous episodes and some of the other resources that Connie mentions. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, we'd appreciate it if you would support our efforts by subscribing. Again, just go on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com, and you'll see a subscribe button under the featured episode. I want to thank Todd, Jeremy, Lillian, Jonathan, Gwen, JC, James, Joanne, Matt, and Adriana for subscribing to Lime Ninja Radio. We really appreciate the support. Every little bit helps us keep on the air. It costs us about $300 every month to keep Lime Ninja Radio going. We'd like to break even with that. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day. Did you know that in museums, ninjas are allowed to touch the art?